Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Heidi ho, good neighbors. Hey, Are we everybody. on? And we look like we're, I'm going to make people jealous here. How are you with your sweeties? What's this called? The smarties. Yeah. You Rustling? Did, no, there's like this. Temptation? <laughs> Irritation? <laughs> Irritation. No, my daughter at school, for some reason, like one of her teachers, like they were supposed to have this quiet time and then they play these tracks of like. I thought it was like. down the like, fingers down I thought it was torture. And they're like, no, it's like this craze of like listening to these like crunching yeah. rappers and just there's like, like a title noise. for it like if you know noise. Is it white noise? Is it no noise? there's a title for it um i have no idea but it sounds uh, yeah it sounds like something that they would no... do in schools today i have this sudden <laughs> realization like i have no Most clue what schools, schools look today. like anymore like when when was the last time i went to a school actually i did coach in michigan i guess but i'm like do they still do chalkboards is that still a thing i don't know uh, it depends on the school Huh. I pictured it all being like you know, laser effects and white like stuff now and the white boards and I'm the one with gray hair, but you're making yourself sound really I'm old. I'm older than you. I know you are. I know. And I, I, I Contrary was, to popular for, belief. For those of you that are connected ish to South, uh I, I if and if you're watching, I have this beautiful scar on the top of my head. Uh, somewhere over here. Um and, and I keep saying to people I should say it's like mixed martial arts or something like that. It, it was actually just bizarrely it was a skin cancer spot and so I had it out, and so suddenly I'm like, I turned 40, and that week the queen died and I got skin cancer. I was like, what happened? My goodness. That was like a week and a half. That's um, an intense. I'm sorry. I'm like totally chewing in everyone's ear on the podcast. But people like that these days, so just Yeah, keep... it's, a, it's a craze. All the, all the cool kids are doing <laughs> wow. it. So before, right, so before we completely lose everybody. Yes, today's um, episode it's really exciting. We get to talk about a subject that everyone loves talking about, yeah. which is sexuality. Uh-huh. And you which preached a message about, yeah, on Sunday. And we're going to cover, we're going to solve all of the problems today. And, it, and it's, so it's tune in. fascinating, like as a, as a precursor, like some of my history with conversations around sexuality has been in pastoring churches. I've actually said verbatim, uh, I'm not going to make this a major issue because I don't think it's a major issue. And then as I wrestled a little bit with, with like how early in the story sexuality appears, I'm like, maybe it is a major issue. Maybe it's bigger than I give it credit for it sometimes. And, and I, d I don't know if that's like some of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual guy that's only dated one woman seriously my entire life. Same. We yeah, both just qualified just, ourselves. Yeah, we're just like so. I've so only been on one date, both or white, with, yeah, with both, one woman. You've been married to one person. So, so on that level, like, so it's fascinating to me as we get into this text we'll look at today. Paul Im implicates all of us in mm -hmm. brokenness around sexuality. Even if you're just only married to one person, only ever had sex with one person. Very much in a in a just a monogamous heterosexual sort of lifestyle. Like still, there's an implication for for every one of us that mm, all is not well. Yeah. Um, and Jesus does that beautifully with his whole like, hey, you've heard people say don't have adult, don't make, don't commit adultery. Uh, I'm telling you, even if you look at a woman in the wrong way, look at a guy in the wrong way, that's implicating you in, in this whole thing. Totally. So so that there's a broadness to the whole sexual ethic of Paul. Uh, and so we've wrestled a little bit with how, do, what direction do we go here in this conversation? Because yeah, you could, there's like, it's such a hot button issue that we could talk a dozen different directions and it cover probably, well, there's entire podcasts about this. But yeah. And, whole and, series of podcasts. About and and we had, we had Carolyn Schmidt read for us mm -hmm. the text we looked at this Sunday. Uh, and so it's nearly two chapters 
Uh, and that was just profound to have her at 80 read this text. And yet, I said a couple of— looks no more than 35. No more than 35. I, I said a couple of times in the sermon, there's something about the one verse, which is just seven English words and only two Greek words, that I spent most of my energy wrestling with those two words— most of my thoughts and fears about what the sermon could be, about how people could respond to it. And anytime you do a, an address or a speech or a sermon on something that, that is a hot button issue, there's always going to be those responses. Almost all of my emotional energy went on those two words. Um, and the what two words are you talking about, Alex? Yeah. So, so in actual fact, in, in Greek, <laughs> we would need to pull them up because uh, I can't remember them off the top of my head. I'm, I'm working on it, but keep talking. Makaloi and arsenokoite, um, which in Greek literally mean effeminate and those that use a male-only bed. Um, <laughs> which, 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 like, when you, when you, for those of you who aren't familiar with the world of Greek language... Generally, what you do is you try and find in the Bible other contexts where the word's used, uh, yeah. and you, you try and find uh, other places in literature where it's used when you're not sure what it means. Uh, and, and the second one just doesn't exist anywhere before Paul. It's like he made it up. So, so you, when you want to do the deep, honest wrestling with the text, you're like, okay, like at some point, we just started translating that as homosexuality. Um, it could be accurate, uh, yeah, and it could and not be. Yeah, and there's like scholars who would say this is a uh, a well known figure of speech in the day, maybe, but there's limited. References. But we can't find it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's there's so some it only gets used in yeah as Paul uses it. But 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 I think the bigger thing to me with wrestling with the text was we know what Paul comes with as a mindset. He comes from a very Jewish world mm -hmm. where Jews Jewish people were just not like Greeks and Romans. Like, it was very unpromiscuous. Yeah. Um, at least on the surface. Mm -hmm. Like, Greek and, Greek and Romans had prom promiscuity everywhere. Um, the, Sorry, yeah. the, the Jewish people, if it was promiscuous, it was behind... Behind the scenes, behind yeah. Behind the scenes. Which you use this quote that Americans are prudes on the surface and perverts <laughs> underneath. <laughs> underneath. And there's, there's some truth to that. Um, so, all right. So on today's episode, we're obviously having this conversation about all these different things, but um, I just, I feel a need to pause and say that part of our conversation is why is this such a big deal? Mm. You just said something that's really fascinating. You said we have almost two full chapters was your text for mm -hmm. Sunday and two Greek words ate up the majority of your mental energy and yeah. study time. And maybe 50% of the sermon. Yeah, and maybe yeah, and about half the sermon. What's up with why did we get how did we get here? How did we get to the place where this has become homosexuality, our sexual expression, sexuality in general has become such a hot up topic in yeah. culture and in the church or honestly it's almost like in the church it's like this weird thing where it's a really hot topic and no one talks about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 How can it be a hot topic that no one talks about? So, I don't so, know, but so we're think, doing it. I think one, like we're, we're mostly aware whether you would class yourself as more conservative, more liberal, you're probably aware of a shift in the last five years. Like it's shifted more in the five years. It's probably been shifting longer where, where conversation around sexuality has just changed. Like the, the number of people outside of, church worlds that would say, no, I'm comfortable with certainly at least monogamous same-sex relationships. The support statistically for gay marriage is fairly high outside of the church. Uh, so I think that, that... And increasingly in the church, yeah. Yeah, but, but as we'll talk about in a second, statistically in evangelical churches, that may, they, that may not be quite as true. Uh, so somewhere, like for, for, the, for the whole of the world, the, the human society, or Western society, there's been an increasing shift. And in, no, we're we're okay. Like whatever you want to do, that's that's up to you. Like that 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 sort of approach has you become you do you yeah has become more and more common. Now at the same time, like fascinating, we talked about this piece of research that in the evangelical church, a couple of questions were asked by Barna as a search group, and one of those questions was, "How many of you believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ?" 
And the answer was what? Do you remember the number? I don't remember. Sixty eight percent or something I like that. Re- I didn't read the study, but I I, I think it was sixty eight percent said I believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were people were asked how many of you believe that that homosexuality is is wrong or has no place in the church. And it was in the nineties. Yeah. So so let me translate that in my own words. What you're saying is, oh, and and by the way, this study, it wasn't just like random people who self-proclaimed yeah. as evangelical. They actually had to take a quiz mm-hmm. to qualify around, to qualify as an evangelical. So yeah. we, we were t- talking about people who, who actually took a quiz and came up as, yes, yeah, they yeah, well, genuinely, yeah, they yeah, know yeah, what it yeah, means yeah. to be an evangelical. Yeah. And then those people, 40-something percent of them, didn't even believe in one of the most core theological uh-huh. d- principles of the Christian faith, but ninety percent of them instantly could tell you that homosexuality is bad. So, so, so the fascinating thing to What's me was was like it feels like so so belief has started to get lost in amongst what we might call ethics. Like we're, 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 there's there's an ethical point of view and perhaps even a political point of view. That would say a particular thing, and and that's more our focus now, than than a core theological belief around who Jesus was and what he said about himself. Like that, that feels like the the evangelical church is starting to split a little bit into perhaps more of a political entity in some ways than it is a spiritual one. Like yeah, I was there's, listening. There's, sorry, uh, I was listening to a podcast just recently, and they were talking about like when you call yourself an evangelical nowadays, it's uh, really difficult to even get a definition because yes. there's an evangelical movement that's like hyper politicized uh-huh. where like you can't call yourself that unless you're super super right and you're voting for these types of characters then there's a there's a evangelicalism that's actually defined by uh, the quadrilateral we talked about mm-hmm. the, um Dave Bebbington Bebbington's quadrilateral Bebbington um and that's more of a classic evangelical mm-hmm. yeah which is where you know some people would fit, and they're like, "So, what is it even a thing anymore? What is what even is it? What are we talking about? Is it like your ethics? Is it your theological framework? Is it your how much you want to talk about Jesus? Is it your yeah. hold to the scriptures? It is, to is become, it your uh, invitation to follow Jesus specifically and concretely, which we don't do every single week at South, totally. um, like the the Billy Graham Crusade model of no, we're going to make that intentional invite every single week." Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. There's so many different questions, and so I think in the church, there's like this this holding on to uh, to this ethic as as an important part. Of, if we let that go, where does society go? Like, where does the church go? Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, people feel more comfortable letting the divinity of Jesus go than which is the foundational thing to our you know, which yeah, is very fan- yeah very maybe, very but, foundational. Oh. Uh, so so I I I am intrigued by hearing voices of wrestling with this subject in the church. And I feel like people are torn between two things. Hmm. Like there's a desire to be intellectually honest and wrestle with a text. To, to come to, to take this text that we believe God has given us uh, as a framework for faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has spoken through this text to wrestle with it honestly and say, this is what it says and this is what it means. Um, and a desire to connect with people that are outside of the faith world, perhaps, or, or certainly outside of the, the, the Christian, classic Christian ethic of sexuality, and to feel like they can offer something to those people that invites them into that story. I might uh, even make it more complicated than that. Okay, I love it. Let's make it more complicated. In the sense that it's not just wanting to, ha- to not say something scary so that we have an invite. It's also a tension between the clear teaching of Jesus around the 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 ethic of love, mm, yeah, yeah, and acceptance. And uh-huh. these are very Jesus ideas. Like, you know, even in Corinthians, we're gonna we're gonna hit the in this book. Let me tell you a 13, more excellent way. He he like spends an entire chapter unpacking this framework of the kingdom of God, which is seated on love on ex- on this sort of idea and then they're wrestling with that and that sounds good and fun and, and and great and then there's this sexual ethic that comes up 
which feels um, antithetical to a lot of what's going on in culture. And they're like, how do I retain both of these at the same time? And so have, a, have a foundation of love for everyone. And and the easy out is to say, well, I accept everyone, but I also think that they're really, really bad if they're doing this. Yes. And, th and it starts to create a cognitive dissonance for followers of Jesus. Yeah. So the problem is the Bible says, both of these things, what in the world do we do with it? Yes. Yeah. So, so I think, I think what Jesus does wonderfully well, which is, and it's probably the reason so many of us find him so captivating. Jesus can, it seems concretely disagree with someone and make them feel loved at the same time. Like that, that, that is something that he does very well. Now that there's groups that, that hate him clearly. And he seems to drive people one of two ways, but there are all these people that he engages with that have ethics that are completely different to his and enjoy sitting having meals with him. Like that that that's a rarity. Um so so there's something that he brings and then he's still comfortable in the midst of encountering them saying I have a better way for you to be human. Um totally. Like that that is and that that pericope that story we looked at this week was the woman caught in adultery. Um like fascinating yeah. little text and 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 actually been like questioned was it in the original manuscripts in some versions it's in italics for some reason um but but seems so jesus like a woman's dragged in front of him he asks this great question about anyone who's guilt-free come cast the first stone like let's go we're gonna do this together he draws in the sand uh, and we don't know what he draws yeah, but yeah there's one of the theories is that he's like writing out the sins of all the people yeah you know, but yeah yeah yeah, knows, yeah but bill did this on this day it's like, <laughs> and just, like yeah drop that rock yeah 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 Ooh, and everyone's looking at bill do we do we stone bill now no but this guy did this and <laughs> yeah and they all disappear and jesus is left and he says no i'm not gonna cast a stone but Go, go and, and sin, sin no, no more. more. Like, like it's a compelling ask. So, You're like, oh, oh, go and sin no more. Oh, that's a massive, invasive, mm -hmm. life-changing statement. And and potentially complex. Yeah, yeah. So potentially so complex. Like so so. Yeah. Some, someone said. Um, someone said to me, like, just in terms of where society was in the first century and the underbelly of Jewish society, which probably was as seedy as the Roman world in some ways mm -hmm. um perhaps the reason jesus spent so much time with prostitutes is there were just lots of prostitutes uh, and we're not sure whether that's the category she fits into but it seems like she could be um so the complexity of go sin no more what does that look like mm. uh, so, so this Unpack pushes that, yeah. this is pushes us towards the, the some of our tension i think with sexuality I, I had a, a friend when I was in Michigan. We used to work with a bunch of, of guys in the poorest zip code in Detroit, 48202, Rosa Parks, North End, uh, this, this area that had become run down, dilapidated, uh, primarily a black community. A lot of gentrification had happened, which caused its own issues. Um, and one of the discipleship guys we worked with had been spending time with a, a young guy in his 20s was a drug dealer uh, and this guy in their relationship he, he said to, to nate the guy that was doing the discipleship he said so i've become convinced jesus is who he says he is like the divinity thing i'm locked in on like i'm like i'm 100 jesus is who he said he is and i'm supposed to follow him um the problem is i make 800 a week selling crack and i have four kids and a wife and i get free health care because the government thinks i'm unemployed and i get a bridge card because the government thinks i'm unemployed for us to not starve, I need to find a $40,000 a year job to not sell drugs. And I didn't finish high school. I dropped out when I was 14. There are no $40,000 a year jobs for people like me. What does Jesus want me to do? Was his question. What does he want me to do? Uh, so, so every time Jesus says to someone, go and sin no more, there's a complicated outworking of that. And, and, and the problem I think that we land on is for some of us, again, two self-confessedly very white guys who've only slept with one person. When we started to follow Jesus at whatever age, I was 18 when I really decided to follow Jesus. The things that I felt I had to give up were maybe I'm not going to sleep around. 
which I hadn't done anyway, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm not going to go out and get wasted, which I wasn't really doing that much anyway. Like that, that, there was little sacrifice, if I'm honest, to following Jesus. Yeah, and I happen to be, for me, I happen to be surrounded by a lot of Christians, so there was actually a lot of benefits to yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, Aaron, the cool kid who's decided to be a Jesus follower and works really hard in the church, and uh-huh. oh, there was a, oh, it was actually a very self-serving yeah. move for me. Yeah. So 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 <laughs> so we we feel that there is some complexity. But not not woman caught in adultery complexity of how do I keep living if I can't live as a prostitute? Not the guy on the street of Detroit, like how do I keep feeding my family of four young kids and my wife and keeping them housed if I'm not selling crack? Um, yep. and, 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 or and we or can... a same-sex couple who has an adopted child and they're like, okay, we're going to... Totally, yeah. We're the only source of income for this this child. And they're, okay, so... That's a command that carries a lot of implications. So when, yeah, when we when we move to the conversation around sexuality, we can dream up all of these scenarios that we feel like the ask might be to the to the guy who's same sex attracted. We 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 believe you're going to be lonely for the rest of your life. You have a craving for relationship, and we we believe that's a no. Mm-hmm. Um, to to the family of of two gay people married together with kids. What's the ask? Does God hate divorce, or does does God hate homosexuality? Like, yep. you can't have it both ways. There, um, like the so. Like, oh, it wasn't a re- real marriage in the first place. Yeah, yeah. the arguments. Yeah, but it but is a fracture of a family. It is, um, and it affects a couple of kids potentially that that need to know that Jesus loves them too. So, so there is. You can have a right or wrong view of it. And we wrestled with that. Like the, the hard part of this text is the words are complicated. Like figuring out what exactly Paul meant has its challenges, but there's also stuff he doesn't say. He comes from a Jewish framework of original design, a man and a woman, and that's talked about by Jesus. And, and Paul, he upholds that. Paul strongly. never ever says, yeah, that doesn't really apply anymore. Never really says, like, if you if you are looking for permission to say it's all okay. This passage doesn't give it this, to us. Yeah, this text doesn't offer that. It yep. does. It does keep it broad. It does say no to the to the the word in Greek is pornia, to the sexually immoral, to the pornography viewer, to the swindler, to the to the greedy. You're just as implicated in this problem as to the homosexual, to the whatever. Like like it's broad, mm-hmm. but it's not a text that would would land you saying, yeah, it's okay, doesn't matter. Like just yeah, do so whatever you want with it's whoever. Not that you big want. a deal. Um, yeah, it's so. Okay, we just threw a lot of stuff out. Yeah, there. yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, like, depending on where you are in this issue currently, maybe you're just wrestling. You don't know what to think, and you're listening to this episode, uh-huh. and you're like, ah, oh, help me process that. Maybe some of you are like, oh, you guys are not saying enough. Yeah. Or you're about this issue. You're not being strong enough and adamant enough about the moral standard and the ethic. And then there may be others who say, no, 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 you're going too far. You're the fact. Well, mm-hmm. that's kind of how this text feels. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what do we what do we do from here yeah. with this with a passage like this? What's the what's the yeah. invitations of this of this text? So, so, Paul? so I think for me, like I, I am very comfortable uh, with 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 my sense that original design is central to scripture as as a as a, a story. God created this design for humanity and he's calling people back to it. Um, and he's doing it confidently knowing that it is the best way for us. Like that's, that's just my reading of, of the whole story. Mm-hmm. Like that's the Adam and Eve is the first human story. It gets very fractured, but there's a calling back constantly to that. What I think is fascinating to me is where do people encounter Jesus in that story? And where is it our job to try and decide everything that's right or wrong and give instruction on how to live as they are trying to experience Jesus in that story? So we have people that connect with South that hover in all sorts of places on ethical issues. We have people that have been through divorce and sit in our community sharing a house but are not married. And we work alongside those people and gradually allow Jesus to connect with them shepherd them through to a good resolution. We have people in this community that have same-sex attraction and have decided to be celibate. 
and, and we watch as God helps them journey through loneliness and, and singleness. We have people that would love to be married and aren't. People that are married and would love not to be married. Um, uh, we have people that have gone through all sorts of different things. We have people that have decidedly said, I don't feel like God is good because of what I've experienced, but I want my kids to learn about him because I feel like they need him. Like there's so much complexity here. So, so to me, and that should be any church in my mind, like any church should be able to provide that point of, of, of wrestling. So, so my, my question becomes, what, what's our end game? Like, I want to have a place where people can come and encounter Jesus. And what I feel the church's first port of call has been is to say, when you arrive, quickly, we want to know about your sex life. And we want you to figure that out first because that's visible and a high value to us. So much that we would say 98% of us can lock into it that over the divinity of Jesus. Like that's been our yeah. MO. Like wh what's going on there? Like what happens in your bedroom? Um, who's invited there? Why are they invited there? What do you do there? Like that feels like where we go. And, and the other passage, that's why I didn't wrestle that much until this week actually with greed and swindling and all those different things that Paul mentions as just as as detrimental to life in his kingdom. Yeah, we could easily maybe like a comical way of like expressing how maybe we should approach some of those if we were going to be consistent uh -huh. yeah. with the list would be someone walks in, they're like, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to become part of this community. And you're like, all right, pull up your bank statement. Yeah. Let's see where uh -huh. your, where your money goes and whether it's aligned with the kingdom of God. Absolutely, yeah. And if not, you can't serve in our uh -huh. kids' ministry. Open the books on your business. Let's see, like where it's like treats people ethically, where it doesn't treat people ethically. So, so counter argument to that, they say, well, yeah, but Paul does seem to elevate this one in a couple different ways, um, and it does like he talks about like you're sinning against your body and all these mm -hmm. sorts of things. So, and even your opening conversation about this, this does seem kind of like a big deal. Yeah. To some extent, so what do we do with that? And then um, the, there is a fear, I think, centered around this conversation, around the the, the social implications, the societal implications yeah, yeah. of some of these things. So, so, so what, do do what, what I feel is interesting is like, so somewhere Paul's language to me, complicated, and, and if this loses you, stick with us, because hopefully we'll get yeah, somewhere. We'll hang <laughs> So, so Paul, very please don't misquote little tiny sections of this conversation because that could go poorly. That for could everyone. go for yeah, really good. Uh, so, so, so Paul very much interested in um, the body and how it relates to humanity. Hmm. Greeks not very interested in that. Romans not very interested in that. Whole bunch of people that are like you can do whatever you want to your body, and it's fine. It's just going to disappear one day. Uh, and so it's it's like the same. It's actually been really present in evangelical Christianity in the 21st century as well. Jesus is going to come back one day. Everything's going to get destroyed. We can mistreat the earth. We can mistreat ourselves. I can eat whatever I want. I can put on hundreds of pounds, and uh, eventually it doesn't Just matter. Burn the fossil fuels like yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. The original mandate to humanity, one of the very first mandates to humanity to care for the earth, Subjugated. irrelevant, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah, burning yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so that that philosophy of who you sleep with won't affect you um, was very Greek and very not Jewish. So, so Paul seems to suggest the difference between these list of 10 things that he gives. And to a Jewish person reading, there's probably like a ding, 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 10. Totally. 10 yeah. commandments, now 10 of these things. Like that's got to have some connection somewhere. Not not for today, probably. Um, but, but five of them are sexual, five of them aren't sexual. And then he says, flee from the sexual ones. Be particularly keen to, to get away from them. Not because God thinks they're worse. I don't think he ever says, that wouldn't be my reading anyway, if you, if you have a different no, view. I don't I, think he ever says they're worse in terms of like the cosmic, but, but they are long lasting. So, so whereas, whereas you can swindle people and it seems according to Paul, you can stop and the effects stop there. Like you, you move on and you can make that change. Yep. Like he, he seems to suggest that somewhere what you've done to your body, it lingers long after that. There's scars. There's, there's a problem with, with, with 
sins against the body that are longer lasting. Yeah, and I think that if you if you think about it logically, that that shows to be true mm -hmm. in the sense that there's usually some relational involvement. Totally. There, yeah, if yeah. there's kids involved, if if there there seems to be more tentacles to affect the well-being of people in a sexual relationship than um, some of the other things in the list mm -hmm. that just, it just has more implications yeah. to it. And if you don't like for, I've talked to some people who before meeting Jesus had just slept around insanely. And if you ask them, no, like be honest with me. Um, do you still feel some measure of tie or connection yeah. or imagination in those other relationships? And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm shattered. Yeah. Totally. People, yeah. Even, I've even had that conversation with people who are saying, no, that was fine. And then I and I dig a little deeper, and they're like, "No, every relationship that I've been in after has mm -hmm. been affected by the one previous, primarily because of the intimate moments." Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, there's a visual, there's has... a visuality to it that locks in your brain, and there's a connection to it that locks in your body that that can't just." And that's why I mean, working with teenagers for years, like I would, yeah. I would work with these 14, 14 15 year olds that had slept with someone for the first time. And still, like years later, are still processing. Oh man, I can't forget that. I can't, that that now, modern psychology would say that's church guilt. That's that's leading them to that. Church theology would say modern psychology is wrong about that, and that's inherent to who we are as humans. Yeah, that there um, is a, and I would even venture just. I mean, we'll go. I will call this hypothetical theology. This is not <laughs> at all. This, this is, is not yeah, in yeah, the yeah. textbook. If you you are by listening, you have you have agreed you will not leave the church based on this statement that Aaron's about. To <laughs> well, make. this prerequisite is huge. Um, I I wonder with all of the research taking place in quantum entanglement. Oh man, that there is something. And you could go down that rabbit hole. I don't know. This is totally hypothetical. But there is um, quantum physics actually has all of these things that they're starting to observe with quantum entanglement in a particle. One particle interacts with the other particle, and then they're internally entangled without some other variable involved in where you interact with one in it and inexplicably, like you ask quantum physicists, they have no yeah. idea why, why it happens. this is happening. And so the particles of our bodies, there's, there's something maybe there mm. where God knows mm -hmm. that the very stuff of his creation is intertwined in, in ways that we can't comprehend. Yeah. Um, I tend to think that some of that has to do with um, how he created the world, mm. science that we haven't discovered yet, and the spiritual dimension, yeah, and all these things again, all that, all that's in the category of hypothetical so theology. We, but we but see, we see it's like something, yeah, it's, and we see the effect of, and this is where I think Paul lands. I've seen the effect of what it is for a guy on the phone to call up someone and say, "Oh yeah, I'm, we're doing this business opportunity. You can buy this for however many hundreds of dollars." And they've called some sweet person, and mm -hmm. this guy or. or lady have opened their checkbook and written a check or they've got their bank card out or their social security card out and you see the effects of that that is traumatic it doesn't i in my opinion begin to touch on some of the effects of you know i i had a friend back in a different place who their first child came because a guy broke into a house and raped her and and they kept the child they went through all those processes but but the the long lasting effect of the brokenness that can come with an assault on the body seems to be longer. Like that, there's implications that stretch farther into the future. There's a memory of it, a a sense of self hatred, and we saw that in that little bit of a story with Amnon and uh, Tama. Uh, that for, for even for the guy that did it, yeah, even for the guy that was the guilty one that has no excuse. There's actually like all these weird studies about go dark here, but. These these perpetrators who tend to, to rape it, it progresses from from rape to eventually murder partially because it doesn't satisfy yeah. and then there's so much guilt and shame and these are people who think it's fine so uh, but, but the, there's, 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 there's something there trauma there that we're, we're we're kind of 
yeah, we, we don't understand why, but somewhere that that seems to be the answer to why Paul says, just be careful with yourself. Like, just this l- is look after deal. this body because it matters. And the church has kind of said casually over the years, no, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think that's at least been the implication in some of, of some of our teachings. Okay, so, so for some people out there listening, they might be thinking, I feel like you're speaking out of both sides of your tongue. We're supposed to... It really matters. We need to uphold this really high standard ethically, mm-hmm. and yet we're making too big of a deal out of it. And that's why I said that's what that's part of what's made me wonder: Do we make too big of a deal out of it? Like, I mean, like, like, like I, I think the wrestling for me was I, I've tried to make it minor at times, and I've wondered if it is. Um, so, so I think maybe maybe that's where I started the whole thing. I'm like, huh, maybe this is more major than I think it is, and yet that doesn't mean that. I don't need to recognize the woman in court in adultery story changes hinged on her experiencing Jesus. And, yeah. and, and the, 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 there's always the potential that my involvement in the story stops people ever getting to that point and how to deal with that and how to create space for that change to happen. Yeah. Um, so so I, th- I think that that's my hmm. my... My, my just wondering and questioning there. So, so my feeling is like Paul's major point here, and I, I think this is what we tried not to lose this Sunday, is not around those two words. It's not around one action or one type of relationship. It, it's around brokenness. And, and that's where, and this is what I love about Paul. He, he almost, even when he's at his most sharp and most like determined to pinpoint the problem, he almost never ends without hope. Uh, like that, that's yeah. pretty rare for him. So, like, what he says to them is, is, is this is what some of you were. Um, and, and the implication is that there's always an invite to be one of that group, to move into some better way to live mm. that, that, that might be hard to determine at times, but, but there's always that invitation to keep moving towards it uh, and to keep longing for it. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think mm. that, like, so his, his language to me is, is that we're all broken in some way. And we're all invited into to wholeness through Jesus' brokenness. Like that that's the big grand story. Uh, and yet in this place of brokenness, we so often, like we, we so often throw rocks at people that are broken differently. Yeah. Um, and we so often, we, we're the cause of, that's the Amnon story, we're the cause of brokenness in in others. The, the, and, and, and what fascinated me, this grabbed me just as a, like pop culture reference. Mm. Tama calls Amnon a fool. He's like, you're going to be the biggest fool in Israel. This is how you're going to be known. And there's this super poignant moment in this kind of cheesy movie. Uh, it's called um, Love Actually. So it's a British movie at Christmas time set around all of these different stories. There's one that has what some people have described as the greatest piece of acting they've ever seen. Mm. Uh, and it's Emma Thompson, the actress. Uh, and her character is this, you know, she's married couple of kids she's in her 40s now they're in like late elementary early um, middle school and her husband's trying to have an affair with his receptionist and she goes to him and she says so what would you do if you were in my situation would you stick around um till you figured out whether it was like whether it was um like a gift that you'd given her and nothing else, or whether it was a gift you'd given her in sex, or worse, whether it was a gift you'd given this other woman in love, because she finds out because he's bought this gift for her. Like, w- w- would you stick around and wait, or would you just decide, I'm, I'm, this is too broken, I'm getting out of here. And he looks at her and he says, I've been a classic fool. And he has, he's been an idiot, he's been Amnon or some version of him. And then there's this moment where she, she replies, yes, but you also made a fool out of me and made the life I live foolish too. Like there's, there's this, the, this action wow. has brought the whole of her world crashing down and everything she's invested in for decades. It is now on the verge of crumbling because of one person's action. And I think that's some of where Paul goes with some of this language around sexuality um, and our actions towards other people. There are things that we can do, rocks we can pull out of walls that look stable, that collapse the whole thing. It's like a Jenga tower. Yeah. You can move a thing and the whole thing collapses on itself. Yeah. Uh, and just the, the point is of yes, and you've made my life foolish too. Um, yeah. So this, like, 
I think the part of what I hear you saying is this is a big deal. Yeah. And yeah. and yet the, what you opened up this conversation with, Jesus has this ability oh, yeah. to encounter people and say some of the most challenging, life-altering, life-changing, ethical challenges to them while still making them feel deeply seen, deeply loved, yeah. deeply acknowledged. And I think, I think one of the reasons he's able to do that is because of his statement at the end when he when he goes to his ascension, he says, I will be with you always. Mm. And this eternal commitment to love and to pursue and to nurture every single person's journey along the path of growing in wholeness, mm -hmm. he's always present. He's challenging sometimes, and sometimes in my own life, infuriatingly mm -hmm. so, but he's there. And he's not just like making this, this like blanket moral statement and then like writing off a whole subset of society and then ditching this place, which is what a lot of the church has done. And that's, I think that's a travesty. Yeah. Instead, he says, here's a pathway that that's, and I know, well, before you freak out, I'm going to walk you with you all along the journey. And mm. maybe this subject is too big for you right now. Yeah. And so I'm going to, let's talk about this other subject because mm. this, I, that one's too close to home. Let's journey on this, this subject for a while and we'll grow in that area. And then Maybe I'll broach this subject again mm. with you later in life as you've matured or grown or trust me more mm. or on and on and on. So so I think, yeah, and I think there's a couple of things we can do to help those conversations. Oh, yeah, I know, Siri, <laughs> Siri's like, I do not know. That? Like, just just, said, I don't know how to just, respond to that. So, so I think there's, there's a couple of things that I think we get to do. So I think we get an honest moment of reflection as people that follow Jesus to say we have definite determinations as to what God will speak to someone on and in what order. Yeah. And, and and learning to surrender that is actually a key thing. Like Jesus will pull people towards him. He said, if I'm lifted up, I'll pull all people to myself and he will bring transformation. And, and I think that is so key for us to know. I have seen God move in my life and in other people's lives in areas that don't to me seem like the highest priority. And yet, for whatever reason, seem to him to be the priority right now. So just being aware of that tension is good for us as followers of Jesus. Totally. I think there's this Amen. beautiful honesty that we can have with people where we say, wherever you are, we don't know what God is going to take off you or ask you for, but know that Jesus has asked some hard stuff from people. He, he's never very shy about saying the way of following me is costly and painful. Um, the, there are people that lose that, that have left homes. There's people, and, and we wrestle with this uh, in a different way in the 21st century. But the guy I wrote my thesis on, William Carey, left his wife in England with three kids, or tried to, or thought he was going to, and then finally she went with him. But but he was like, "This is what I'm called to do." Like that, I mean, to him, he was like, "I'm doing the right thing." Now we could we could have a whole session on him, but but the way of Jesus has cost people. It's cost people their lives. I've just been reading silence about Japanese Christians in, in yeah. the early part of Japan. People died through torture because of this faith. Like it, it can cost. And so I, I think sometimes we're a little bit like the, the modern gospel has become a little bit like come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. And, and, <laughs> and the reality for these first followers of Jesus is like come to Jesus and your problems just got started. <laughs> yeah. like, you thought it was bad before. Yeah, like on a cosmic level, everything may be in alignment, but on a on a earth level, whew, like this this can get this can get complicated. Um, some people that liked you before may not like you anymore. So yeah. so like I think there's those two two areas like yeah, there's the honesty of come and man. He may ask you for anything. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, um, recognize for us that are in the room kind of looking and saying, hey, what's God going to work on all these people? Like, we don't know. We don't always have all of the thing. Uh, and that Jesus' brilliance is that love. I I'm intrigued by that story about mm -hmm. um, the rich young ruler. Because the story is, class in, in just a few words, is a guy comes to Jesus, says, I want to follow you. Jesus says, give all your stuff to the poor and follow me. And the guy goes away very sad because he can't do it. What we're told about Jesus' emotion in that is we're simply told Jesus looked at him and loved him. Um, now, what we aren't told is the moment he went away, he stopped loving him. 
what we aren't told is whether he lingered on the fringe and eventually started following Jesus for himself. We're, we're not told whether he went away and never came back. We're not told any of those things. We're left to imagine. And it's not the teaching point of the pericope. The teaching point is you might have to surrender all your wealth to follow Jesus. But I'm just intrigued to, to sketch it on further. Yeah. And, and no implication in there to me suggests that the moment he said, I can't give that up. Jesus said, huh. Love disappeared at that moment. Love died quick. There is there is this potential, and we see that with with characters throughout the New Testament. Like sometimes you know, Nicodemus seems to lurk on the fringes for a while, and it's not till the crucifixion that he actually makes some decided steps. Totally. Like there's 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 space for people on the fringe at different points to yeah. to, to to consider. And 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 the, the the second century church actually got to that point that they'd grown so fast that they actually kind of challengingly said to people, you know, take a year, consider the teachings of Jesus, like decide if you want to live up to these. And in a year, if you say yes, we'll baptize you and we'll make you a part of the church. Like their whole premise changed from the first century church. They were like, yep, you said yes, we're going to dunk you. Um, yeah. They, and, they just, I, and I've even, I, you know, I've, I've seen moments where you're just like yes i'm gonna i'm gonna encourage obedience to the way of jesus when when he challenges you to obey this issue mm -hmm. i'm gonna encourage you to obey it and when he when jesus challenges you to obey on this particular issue i'm gonna encourage you to obey that too but if he's not bringing up that particular issue at that time like trusting people's journey with jesus rather than with us individually saying well this one feels weird to me so you've got to deal with that one sooner mm -hmm. And some of those things are complicated. So um, we're, it maybe makes some sense that we're going a little bit long in this episode, but hmm. um, there seems to be, we started this out like, why has this become such a big deal? And um, I think it'd be helpful maybe to paint a few short pictures of on both sides of this argument, whether you want, whether, you, whether you're hoping that the Christian faith is more, um, open to different sexual challenges wow, yeah. or whether you're on the side where you wish that you, where you want it to be more clear and precise mm -hmm. and know this and this is bad. This is good. This is so whichever side you're on, why do we have this tendency to get so locked in and aggressive about these two things? Um, these two different perspectives. Mm. Yeah. What's the answer? I have some theories, but <laughs> I, so I think we are, I think we're hardwired as, um, in our brains, and this is even, you can neurologically to prefer, um, uh, simple solutions mm. to things. Uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? Um, we want simple answers. Our brains are calorie saving machines mm -hmm. Our are we we want to know what's mm. good what's bad where's the line how close can i get to the line mm -hmm. before i cross the line like these this is an obsession that's not just individuals some people are like that some people aren't we're actually neurologically wired wow. towards uh preferring binary that's the term i'm looking for preferring binary systems huh neurologically we're, we're wired for binary yeah, systems. yeah yeah um because it's easier to calorie to categorize it's easier to to make decisions about it burns mm. fewer calories all of these there's sorts of this things and so it's it's just in our so for someone who's um, more um i want to know where the boundary is and just say it just like this whole episode may be infuriating to you because we're not yeah, just saying just, yeah. this is uh, we are we we've said it a couple times and then we kind of said some other things that felt like we were unsaying it and then we're like it might be infuriating that's your brain trying to categorize mm. what's right what's wrong where's the boundary where's not the boundary um and then vice versa if you're like struggling with this and you're trying to say i want to figure out how to find a, a church that's affirming of me and 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 all those sorts of things you want to just take this issue and, and you're still pursuing a binary yeah system and just acknowledging that that's deeply human mm. and i think it's part of our brokenness as humans yeah to prefer um to simplify things that are complex yeah and all the stories you told from the bible are very complex stories they and always it, we are wish right? 
yeah. that these texts were super crystal clear on these different things. But the reality is if we're dealing with humans, when when was the last relationship that you had that was just crazy easy? Everything about it was super duper mm. simple. Ah, it's just not a thing. Yeah. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons why we tend to polarize is because it takes more energy uh-huh. and I would call it kingdom energy. Yeah soul, spirit, growth, mature energy to retain the complexity of love mm-hmm. and ethical standard at the same time. And gosh, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so I, I think we tend to have a nostalgic look back at what we might broadly categorize as biblical times and say, well, it was simple then, wasn't it? And I think we miss the complexity within the stories then. Because we've got it in black and white in front of us, and so we take that and we're like, oh, look, look, it's black and white. Uh, but but as soon as you start to place yourself in the story, it quickly gets complex. If you read about Corinth, suddenly the simplicity's gone, right? Yeah, yeah. like like the the woman caught in adultery that we've talked about. Like, what yeah. happened to the guy? Like, why was there a guy? Why isn't he stood there in front of Jesus? Where did she live? Like, how did she make her money? What happens after she decided to stop doing all the things that Jesus said was sin? What did he mean when he said, go away and sin no more? Like, was he talking only about that thing? Were there other things as well? Like, where does the story go? Uh, uh, Even for the the first followers of Jesus, like, Peter seems like he was probably married. Like, in actual fact, it says he's got a mother-in-law, so he certainly was married. Yeah. Like, while he's traveling around with Jesus, what's happening to his wife? Like, why is he neglecting her? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's the family? What's going? Like, like as soon as you put yourself in the stories, it gets complex. And so, what we get beautifully with Corinthians is is poor wrestling with this. Like, over the next few weeks, we're looking at like you are free for freedom. Christ made you free. And then there's these things, like, and that's the Corinthian church's struggle. Like, I thought we're supposed to be free, and Paul's like, you are, but. Everything's permissible. Uh-huh. Not everything's beneficial. Oh, like it's it's a that's so complicated. It's what so do you mean, compl- Yeah. It's so uh. complex. Um and so so will I think yeah. you're right. I think you're right about the binary. It means that we tend to go to passages or lock into passages as our memorized texts that seem like they're more more binary and and then there's these other ones that like what does Paul mean when he says to the Greeks, I became a Greek to the, you know, the Romans, I became Roman to the, the like I, I, he's doing all of these different connection points. He's, he's at times taking elements of their society. What he doesn't do when he goes to Athens is say, you've got a statue of an unknown God, burn it down or smash it to bits. Like we're going to get rid of that thing today. Mm-hmm. He says, the thing that you worship as unknown, I'm going to reveal to you as no. Yeah. Like, can he see a day one day where the, the Athenians as a whole state or whole city pull down their their false gods? Absolutely. Is it his big argument for what should happen today? It's not. Like, it's fascinating how this yeah, he guy... Doesn't, he doesn't say, rip that one down and rip that one down and rip that one down. Uh-huh. Like, wow, is he slacking off? He's not theologically strong enough on yeah, this it's issue. It's just like, it, 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 there's all of this wrestling with how do you... How, how do you clear the pathway for people to experience Jesus? Because at no point, it seems to me, in history has has behavior changed because people legislated it. Like a, good, a great example of that is prohibition. We went through a phase where we said, like, society-wise, we need to get rid of strong liquor. And I think at, any, at some point over here, yeah, it was any, any alcohol, right? Yeah, this is a scourge on society. I, I don't know enough about American history to know, was that a, a, was that a, a Bible thing or a, a faith thing or was it just a societal thing? But whatever, that becomes the drive. We're a Puritan nation in our history. We've got to get rid of all this stuff. And all it does is it goes undercover. It goes subterranean and suddenly stronger liquor that's unregulated has been drunk by people. So like, they, 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 there's actually this beautiful Simpsons episode where they find out like Springfield bought in prohibition in like 1918 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so they're like, okay, we're going to go back to prohibition. So they do. Uh, and then it's only at the end of the episode, somebody reads the next line on the parchment that says the law that we brought in in 19 was repealed in, in 20 because it just didn't work. <laughs> um, we, we long to legislate for people. 
Um, and it doesn't seem like it works. The only thing that the Bible talks about is transforming, is coming into relationship with Jesus. Yeah, it's an, um, a whole life transformation thing that produces better, more beautiful ethical outcomes. Yeah. It's not rules, regulations, binary, this bad, this good. That's a system that actually intends to, in human beings, create defensiveness and more hostility yes. and all of So I think stuff. I'd finish so, with this story that always has helped me. Um, it's not about a particular sexual preference or anything like that. It's actually about a couple that a friend of mine was pastoring a church and this young couple, you know, church full of gray hairs, beautiful group of people. And, uh, and this younger couple comes in and they look different to most people in their room. And um, they start interacting. And the, the guy I knew who was the lead pastor, he grabbed his other leaders and he said, like, he said, these, these couple, they're living together. They're not married none of you says a word to them. Like, if any of you says anything, I will persecute you personally. Like, just, like, just, you just keep quiet. And, and so that for about six months, they engaged with the community, both made, like, a, a commitment to follow Jesus. And he said they were over for dinner one night, and, and in the middle of the meal, one of them said, like, can we ask you a question? Uh, like, we've been reading the Bible together, and it seems like the Bible says if we're, if we're supposed to be married, like, we're supposed to, uh, if, we're, if we're sleeping together, we should be married. Like, is that right? And he's like, well, actually, yeah, like the, the, the Bible's viewpoint is you should be married. Um, and, and they're like, looked at each other. And the one said to the other, well, I love you. Do you love me? And the other one said, yeah. And like, do you want to get married? And like, yeah. And, and they didn't do the wedding right there. But that, that was the story. Now, beautiful story. So we get to celebrate mm -hmm. that and recognize those are the types of things we can expect to see in a Jesus community. Yeah. But we also get to acknowledge the complexity that if those were two people of the same gender that were reading the text, if they'd come to like this conclusion of like, this is, this is, this is something that's never accepted. Then, then after years of relationship, the only conclusion that they can come to is we're supposed to, one of us is supposed to move out. We're supposed to split up and our lives change completely mm -hmm. for that first couple. There wasn't much change really. There was a ceremony. Yep. Um, so, so the, the second thing, we can look at the text and be intellectually honest and say that would be the right decision for them to make, maybe. But we should also be able to look at it emotionally and say that there are two human beings that have, to a certain degree, felt knit together in relationship. And now there's a tearing apart. Yeah. And there's a loss there as well. There's a heartbreak there as well. Yep. And that's difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so there's some... Uh, if you're curious, if you want to know more, there's some great resources. There's some good work um, on the subject, and, 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 I, and there's more to learn. I think learn. a great push would be read something you don't agree with. Yeah, like go and find a book. Like if you have, if you are very much in a in a sort of a belief that the Bible lands on original design, man and a woman, and that's the only option. Um, go and read something like Love is an Orientation or something like that, you'll probably disagree with 90% of it, and that's okay. Yeah, so here's here's an admonition that I will repeat from Sunday where you preached. Um, one of the things you said as a recommendation is, say, before you go to making snap judgments, have a relationship. Yeah. Do you know Definitely. anyone? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know their story? Do you know—so if you, that's you, that's one recommendation is to say, okay, let's— Hold, slow your roll on the snap uh -huh. judgments, on the really um, binary statements, whatever, until you can build some relationship. And then if you're on the other side of that, if you are increasingly trying to find a place where the way of Jesus never challenges you to change anything about your life, then you are no longer going to a Christian mm -hmm. church. Yeah. Because that's not the church I go to, yeah. and I'm a heterosexual, uh -huh. monogamous yeah. man— Yet the way of Jesus continually challenges me and and stuff. And so and, and then both you, of those camps, yeah. like you've got to find a place where you're in a relationship with Jesus that's dynamic and challenging totally. enough um, or that challenges you either to love more in an uncomfortable way or to sacrifice in some uncomfortable ways. And that's just part of walking with Jesus. Yeah, and, and if you're on the, the, the more um, liberal side, like— read some commentaries around texts like this, that, that, that demand intellectual wrestling with the text, because some of those commentaries will, will say that one of the arguments are, are, are about passages like this has been Paul didn't understand that there were monogamous homosexual relationships as a possibility. 
yeah, there were those relationships back then as well. Like, th th that isn't a brand new thing for society. They existed, um, especially for upper-class Greeks and Romans. Like, th there's, th there's for every one of us more wrestling to do. Yeah. Um, and that's a good thing. And the safest place to be is with Jesus in the process. Totally. Yes. Because he has a way of do figuring all that eh, mess out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks uh, for tuning in. If you have questions, if you want more resources, um, reach out and we can maybe send some book recommendations or something mm -hmm. in the comments section. We'll mm -hmm. leave that to the comments section. We were not going to do it unless you reach out and ask for those. Yes. Um, another podcast maybe that would be uh, Theology in the Raw is one that addresses this uh -huh. issue quite yeah. a bit. Um, he's done uh, a lot of work in this area, the, uh, the, the host of that show. I would say uh, there's a book, Nancy Percy has a book called Love Thy Body. Okay. which is pretty broad across all different aspects of sexuality. It, it, uh, it leans more conservative, maybe. That was really helpful for me. Um, yep. That would be a great option. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're still wrestling and figuring it out. And See you guys. Have a great in. week. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.